trying to conceive has been so, so hard because now I just feel like I have no amount of ability to feel naive or happy or hopeful. It's so hard. Welcome to Time to Talk TFMR, Termination for Medical Reasons. Our aim is to help you own your experience. I'm Catherine Mousley. And I'm Hayley Manning. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about trying to conceive after TFMR with Dr. Erica Rosmond. Erica is a clinical psychologist in California who specializes in using cognitive behavioral therapy, or CBT, and dialectical behavioral therapy, a little bit of a mouthful, I won't lie, otherwise known as DBT, to help her clients with a range of mental health problems. Erica lost her daughter Shayla to a TFMR a few months ago, and after also experiencing two miscarriages, she has been using these techniques that she's learned to help others to also help herself. She's recently set up an international online directory of pro-choice therapists to help women and couples find a suitable therapist. And you can find her on Instagram at TFMR Psychologist. So Catherine, you and I have both had trying to conceive Indeed. experience. What was, um, yeah, what was yours like? Consuming. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Just to sum it up in a nutshell, yeah. Yeah. absolutely consuming. I think you know, once you've been through this experience, all you can think about is becoming pregnant again. Yeah. And it gets to the point you're bordering on obsessive, just about everything, like ovulation tests, like temperature, um, even down to like what pills you're taking, what pills you might be making your partner take. Yeah. I remember like searching about, I think there was soya kind of pills you had to take on certain days of your cycle. Oh. And then, then these CoQ10 pills as well. It was it's just horrible because like you said it becomes you become jealous of everyone else that's pregnant you can't think about anything else but being pregnant yeah even having sex becomes a chore <laughs> yeah exactly that's exactly what I was thinking of when you were describing this I'm like yeah sex kind of loses its whole it does it does thing really now it's all schedules and stressed out about whether this is the right time or not right time and all that kind of thing and, and yeah and how long the egg lasts and lying with your legs in the air and yes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing because I mean it's not funny at the time it really it isn't. isn't but when you're reliving this stuff you're like god yeah that was a complete matter I know I, I do remember time. lying on my legs in the air and yeah Chris like are you okay like looking at me upside down like I'm fine just give me another 10 minutes I'm fine I'm fine yeah but, and then I remember just even getting your period and I was like a howling banshee like yeah. literally like lying on the sofa just wailing and I remember Chris looking at me thinking I don't even know what to do with her yeah because I just yeah. wasn't making any sense and I was like you don't even understand like how horrible this feels to have your yeah. period it just feels like time is ticking doesn't it you know time's ticking yeah. by here's another cycle wasted that's what it feels like and the anxiety um, as well like yeah. the anxiety like is it gonna happen yeah yeah. Is it going to go wrong if it does happen? What does happen if you see those two lines? Like, it's all these like anxious thoughts that grow and grow. Yeah, yeah. And how long did you did you wait at all after Bud to try and conceive, or did you? I'm not in the slightest. Just, no, you were like, <laughs> yeah, okay. No, I actually remember because we moved. I moved from Nottingham to London shortly afterwards. Mm. It took us four months, but. I think the first month we didn't really try, but then I was straight on it afterwards. But we weren't living together at that point. But I remember the day we were moving, apparently I was ovulating and I, I pinned Chris down at five o'clock in the morning before the removal van turned <laughs> up. And I was like, we have to do this now. This is our chance. <laughs> and like, you know, back then I'm thinking, oh my God, it's just... <laughs> I mean, the next cycle we did conceive Jake, but um, you just think back. And, and I remember, and then the next cycle we were at my dad's house 
And I remember, we were in separate rooms because he only had single rooms in that point. Yeah. And I remember sneaking in going, it's now, it's now. <laughs> I am the ovulating. Yeah, the temperature's spiked. It's definitely now. <laughs> and Chris is like, we're in a single bed in your dad's house. They are literally next door. Like, well, how are we going to do this? Very quietly, <laughs> but we are doing it. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, that is funny. Um I mean, I've had several miscarriages as well. So, you know, my story is I've had a lot of trying to conceive experience. Um, and after Luna, um, I we didn't start trying straight away. I had this thing in me of like, I want to start trying. And I remember speaking to Sally, my bereavement midwife, and saying that to her. And she said, well, of course you have that feeling. You know, uh, she actually said, you know, you have something to prove. And I'm like, yes, you're right. I do feel yeah. like I have something to prove. Um so it was probably about five months after Luna died that we started trying and it took a while. I think it was up to a year, maybe just shy of a year. Um, Do you think it kind of taints your whole world though? Because every month you're just back on this like train. Of- yeah, I, I'm trying to sort of, I definitely felt that sense of like, there's another cycle wasted. And then, you know what, what happened was, is I just sort of went, okay, I can't be focusing like this, like this crazy person anymore. Mm. Um, Let's just leave it to the gods because let's face it, it's all left to the gods anyway. I have no, we have no control over any of this stuff, which is what makes it so anxiety inducing. But that crazy person thing, when you're like looking at every article you're reading, you're like, you're, you're hooked on like the certain research papers or things. It takes over your life. It does. It It takes over your life. And I just kind of went, okay, I need to stop that now. And of course, as soon as I look at people, I'm not also saying like, oh, as soon as you stop, you know, focusing on it, it's going to happen. I'm not saying that, but that is what did happen. I just sort of went, not going to worry about tracking it. And then it did happen. Now that pregnancy ended in another miscarriage, but you know, we've had other episodes where I've talked about it. So that is my experience of trying to conceive in pregnancy after loss and all this kind of stuff. But yeah, it's a minefield. So why not? Well, you've heard enough of us blabbering on about it. So let's let's bring Erica in to talk about it because that's what we want to talk to her about. We want to talk about all the anxiety around it as well. So thank you, Erica, for joining us today. It's really lovely to have you here all the way from California. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. So we could see you nodding and smiling and laughing as Catherine and I were talking about the craziness of trying to conceive. Oh, yes. I mean, the what you said, all consuming and obsessive. And I think the other part for me is that I, as a therapist, I do a lot of evidence-based therapy. So what that means is that there's a lot of research to show that the therapies work. But when it comes to trying to conceive, I did anything. Like it didn't yeah. matter yeah. to me. If there was research behind it, I am trying and have tried everything and even very silly things. Yeah, I haven't taken this pill on a full moon. I haven't tried this ovulation <laughs> stick with a different brand upside down. <laughs> yeah, yes to all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us what CBT is, first of all. Yes. So CBT, and it is a mouthful because we have two acronyms that sound exactly the same, but CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy. And what that means basically is that our thoughts, emotions, and behaviors are all connected. And so when we're treating an anxiety disorder or a depressive disorder, we're looking at what people's thoughts are, what behaviors they're doing, and how that impacts their mood. 
And the reason why it's so helpful is because rather than just telling someone feel less anxious or be less sad, we actually challenge their thoughts and have them do different behaviors to result in a different emotion. So it's like retraining your thinking really. Yes. And it's really focused on the here and now. So in other therapies, you focus on the past and how that influences your present, but really CBT is focused on what's going on now, a lot of active problem solving. Mm -hmm. And of course you use the past to know um, how things make sense in this present moment, but it's really focused on where do you want to be and how do we get you to that goal? And so what is the difference then? with DBT. Yeah. So DBT is actually under the umbrella of cognitive behavioral therapy. So DBT was created years after CBT and Marsha Linehan, who created dialectical behavior therapy was extremely suicidal herself when she was a child and was deemed the sickest person in the hospital when she was suicidal. Hmm. And there are a few gaps in her story, but basically she went off to get a PhD and created a treatment to help other people who are suicidal. And dialectical behavior therapy is trying to get people to live a life worth living. And now DBT has been adapted for so many different mental health issues. And I use it a lot of times for anxiety and depression. And the main difference is that there is both acceptance, which is a lot of mindfulness and change. And so we're not just focusing on how to get you to where you want to go, but also tolerating uncertainty and tolerating distress. Okay. That's quite what you said earlier, wasn't it? About acceptance and mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that is with trying to conceive. In a nutshell. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have no control. So we have to find a way of accepting some of that. So how do we do that, Erica? That is a great question. <laughs> so I, so I, I'm always looking at, so the dialectic is basically two things that seem to be opposing extremes and our goal is to find the middle path. So in acceptance and change on one end, I'm going to tell you let's problem solve. And then on the other hand, it's let's just accept, which are very different and tell you to do completely different things. Mm. But when it comes to trying to conceive, especially after TFMR, one thing that I did was let me go get blood workups. Let me see if I have a blood clotting disorder since I hemorrhaged after my DNA. I hemorrhaged. I had to have an emergency procedure. I had a hematoma during my TFMR pregnancy. So I went the problem solving route of let me see what I can control. Mm-hmm. And then when all of that came back normal, then we focus on, okay, how do we tolerate the two week wait? Because you oh, can't gosh, do yes. anything once you've actually tried. And so it's a constant dance between the two. That is yeah. the, the longest two weeks someone will ever experience in your entire life. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Yeah. And then you can't see symptom spotting as well, I think. Oh yeah. The symptom spotting. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is like early pregnancy signs are very similar to early period signs, yeah. you know, so, you know, I get a lot of breast tenderness. So that totally, I'd be tracking that going, 
is this tenderness because I'm pregnant or is you're this, poking yourself as I'm constantly. like, yeah, constantly oh, poking yeah. myself and sort of, <laughs> you know, doing the whole boob wiggle thing. Do they feel heavier? Do they, you know, so, and yeah. like that, I had a twinge, one twinge. What is that? Is that pregnancy twinge? Yeah, is that yeah. like just a twinge? Or is that a normal twinge? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Driving yourself nuts with those. Oh, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so hard. I mean, because we really don't have control and and we want it so badly. I think both of those things together just create a recipe for emotional chaos in a way. Yeah. And so Erica, I mean, being a psychologist, you know, have you been sort of a bit more immune from this or are you mm. uh, a regular human who is not immune? I'm a totally regular <laughs> human and I am not immune to this, but I have, I always tell my patients, I have so many opportunities to use these skills on myself. Yeah. So one of my favorite skills that I like to use during the two week wait is called Copahead, which is a DBT skill. Mm -hmm. And first we start off by thinking, what's the worst case scenario? So you actually identify what's the worst possible outcome here. And maybe during a two week wait, it's seeing that it's stark white or thinking you see a faint line, like those line eyes, oh, you know, yes. when you start to maybe think you see something and then it goes blank. Maybe that's the worst case. So you really identify what's going to happen, how you think you're going to feel. And that's kind of mindfulness in a way of just imagining what you're going to be like. And then we create a coping plan and they practice it over and over and over in their mind. Mm -hmm. So by the time, if their worst case comes true, then they actually, their brain has prepared and they know what to do. Yeah. That sounds really interesting, actually. I think some people might do that without realizing, but not realize it's a skill. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. Or putting it into a really like, almost like a formula, because I can imagine you, if it was me and I was doing that, I'd be writing this stuff down. So I would write it out. I'd sort of make it as my list because I love list. <laughs> but yeah, you know, rather than it just being in your head, get it down on paper. That's probably what I would have done with it. But I think Catherine, like you say, you're probably doing a bit of that anyway. Yeah. But there's that thing of when you're kind of going, this is the worst case scenario. It's going to be a negative pregnancy test. Let's take that as the example. That's the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm and you're just like hanging on to hope that that's not what's going to happen I think that's where like some people might lose it there and get lost in that yeah. negative thought which where the anxiety then grows and grows and it can be hard to bring yourself back to that bit of hope yeah yeah it's like a dance between not feeling completely hopeless and creating a plan if things don't go well yeah Erica what do you make of like the whole like voodoo thing? Well, if I think something might happen. The karma. Yeah, the karma thing or the jinxing it, you know? So if I think it's not going to happen, Ugh. then it won't happen. If I think it is going to happen, then it won't happen. Like we feel like you can't win. Whatever thing you were thinking, yeah. you're not going to win. I know. What is that? It's awful. <laughs> it's so awful. Is that what they call a mind fuck, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a mind fuck. That's, that's what I call that. <laughs> Yeah, it, I mean, it is, you really get, we get ourselves tied in knots with that because we think we're going to jinx it, whichever way we think. Yep. 
It's a lose-lose. It's awful. And then you just want to bury your head in like, I don't know, stick your head in the toilet. Like, just shut up. Just please just shut up. Yeah. All these yes. thoughts like wrestling for attention. There's also like magical thinking. Yes. Of uh, thinking that we can control the future. And if we think it, then it will happen. I mean, the magical thinking is just awful. Is that what some people call manifesting though? Well, manifesting. Yeah. Is that different? Uh, that's like, oh, I am. Yes, I am manifesting what I want, which I always think that's a load of shite. Like you can't yeah, like do that. Manifest like 20 million pounds into my bank yeah, account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, like you're gonna manifest something, manifest something really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it has so how do you like how do we get around? Because I'm guilty of that. Like if I think this uh, either way, it's gonna go bad. So how do you recognize that that's what you're doing? Because it's this loop thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think one thing is, and this is a different type of mindfulness because it keeps bringing you back to reality. Okay. And so that's what I like to say is first acknowledge what is your magical thinking telling you so that you can identify, ah, here I go. I'm, I'm doing the magical thinking. And then it's what's going on in reality in this moment. And you may have to turn your mind back to what's going on 500 times, but it's just focusing on what is my reality? What do I hear? What do I see? What is going on with my body? It's like grounding, but it's every time you notice your mind going off, you just keep bringing it back to reality. It takes quite a lot of work, I think, to do that when you're in that trauma. Oh yeah. Like phase, isn't it? Like to be that self-aware. And it's a lot of skill, isn't it? It's a lot of skills. And so at first it's really hard to access that. But in DBT, because it's a treatment created for people who get to that really intense emotional state, we do have some tools to bring you down. And one of my favorite is getting a bowl of ice cold water and dunking your face in it and holding your breath for about 30 what seconds. I said about the toilet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like sticking yeah. your head in the bowls. toilet. Yeah, yeah. Bit, bit more sanitary. The, yeah, <laughs> Bit more sanitary. But the idea is that it's called a dive reflex and all mammals have it and it conserves your organs so you can start to breathe more easily and less shallow and take deeper breaths just so you can come back down so i love that yeah so it's like a kind of shocking your body into a sort of right come back to neutral so we can maybe not at your desk though unless people were around you were prepped about what was going on i know oh there there it goes like i'm fine there goes Catherine again she's just you know waterboarding herself Uh, yeah, no, that, I mean, so it's like the sensory thing. Cause I've heard about people using like elastic bands or something to sort of snap on their wrist to sort of stop it. Almost like an obsessive thinking. Yeah. You can also eat like hot sauce or sour candies. I mean, anything to just really focus on what's going on rather than your thoughts. Cause sometimes the thoughts just feel so overwhelming, so mm-hmm. hard especially during trying to conceive when it's so obsessive it's what you want to happen and I feel it because I'm in it right now Mm. and so it's much easier to talk about it than to live it yeah my colleague one of my colleagues actually she has like an egg timer thing where she just sets a period of time with the egg timer just to worry about certain things when it goes off she has to stop and she has the timer like shocks her into focusing Mm, I like that one yeah she's all the time and I never used it yet I should do (laughs) And so Erica, you've mentioned there that you were in this now, that you were trying to conceive after your TFMR. 
Um, I know from your story that you've had two miscarriages previous to your TFMR. So you you are well versed in this trying to conceive roller coaster. Yeah. So yeah, so what's it been like for you personally? It's hard. Some days I feel like it's not real. Um, when I first started trying out, I just thought, okay, this is just what happens. I didn't think too much of it, although I felt very anxious. So I was sad and I was anxious and I thought, okay, well, it's going to work out for me. I just knew it because it does, because I learned in sex ed, don't have sex or you'll have a baby. <laughs> so I thought, okay, well, this is happening. And I was the really the first out of all of my friends to start the trying to conceive journey. So I haven't heard of these horror stories, mm. but I always, with Shayla, I always knew she was going to die. It was this impending doom. And I never pictured me holding her in my arms, which is awful mm. to even say. Yeah, and I then I thought the I jinxed it. Did you? Yeah. I remember seeing when I had the pregnancy test with Bud and I remember running out the room in shock in the bathroom just going, but then my overwhelming thought was that I'm never going to see him grow up. Wow. So oh, I think me the chills. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's something in that like, motherly instinct that you just know it's not quite right. And I remember taking yeah. pregnancy tests after pregnancy tests. Like I got a picture of them lined up along the um, countertop. I just thought, you know, something's not right. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, I hate that. I never know with that because I, with Luna, I had similar sort of feeling. I don't know if I could say that it was a definite sort of something's going to be wrong, but I definitely walked into that scan kind of going we could be told that there's no heartbeat because that's happened before mm. and I was kind of preparing myself for that and I don't know if that was a definite sort of I knew that something was wrong or if it was a this is my experience of yeah. pregnancy your past is leading yeah your present. yeah this yeah. is my experience and um, I never expected them to say what they did say and I never expected it to be a TFMR you know, possibility and, you know, that like you hear this all the time, we all sort of say very similar things that we didn't even know that this is a thing, even though, of course, I know it's a thing, but I didn't know it was a thing. You know, so, um, yeah. So it's strange, isn't it? It is. I even had my own OB doctor because I had a subchorionic hematoma. So I started spotting early in my pregnancy, and then I had these huge bleed outs, the most I've bled in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And they were telling me, nope, there's a heartbeat. And then my OB told me, you will either miscarry or have a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. And so like two extremes. <laughs> implanted this idea that I would have a healthy baby if I didn't miscarry. Yes. Yeah. Well, I have a new doctor now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, why say something like that? Because like, there's no middle just, ground, is there? It's no, just, it's just no. ridiculous. And actually, nobody knows that. I mean, nobody knows that. Even And what is he basing it yeah. on? I don't know. Uh, that it works for 90% of people, I guess. But I just held on to that for so long. And then, at, you know, 20 weeks, when I heard that her brain hadn't developed properly, it was like, it was so hard to believe because finally I felt a sense of calmness and peace. Mm. So trying to conceive has been so, so hard mm. because now I just feel like I have 
no amount of ability to feel naive or happy or hopeful. It's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. And that uncertainty, isn't it? It comes back to that uncertainty. Like you just have no avenue, which you've walked before, just to gain yeah. any comfort or strength from because they're all just so different. Yeah. Yeah. I do have a few mottos. Okay, let's hear in, some mottos. A, okay. So these are these are things I think I've er, that I have borrowed from other people also. Okay. So this is trying to conceive and also if you do see two lines on a pregnancy test. So I love my baby whether they live or die. Hmm. Pregnant until proven otherwise. Different pregnancy, different outcome. And then the last one, which is actually a reggae song that my husband listens to, is <laughs> what will be will be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all these sort of mottos, there's something around also, again, these sort of polar opposites that I think probably many of us have felt that you want to conceive again, but there's another part that's going, I'm terrified. Like you're terrified of not getting pregnant and terrified of getting pregnant and when it does actually happen as well you just you're not happy yeah I, I remember um trying to work out what the luteal phase was and then thinking it can't be over this much and then obviously it had gone past the day I was expecting a period and then I remembered like tiptoeing to the pharmacy if I tiptoe it'll be all right <laughs> if I select the third pregnancy test on the back it's going to be all right and then I remember coming home and phoning my mom and she was like oh okay that was it and then I remember giving it to Chris and I remember putting it on his top of his jumper and he just was like okay all right that's it yeah there was just nothing that time yeah yeah real lacking of joy there yeah and it swings from scan to scan and yeah like day to day and yeah it's It's like you get a hope of reassurance and then it quickly goes away Mm. and I know for me we did an amniocentesis and everything came back clear. So we have no idea why her brain didn't develop properly. And so there's this idea that it could be a very rare genetic disorder that we didn't pick up, or it could be a fluke. So the thought is, okay, you'll either be fine or there's a 25% likelihood Mm -hmm. this could happen again. Like what the hell? How does someone cope with that? And I know so many other women and individuals are dealing with similar situations. Yeah. I mean, I, so, I mean, my experience, I don't want this to be a a turning into pregnancy after loss necessarily. Um, But because I've had multiple miscarriages as well, basically my sort of run up. So after Benjamin, I had three losses in a row, miscarriage, TFMR, and then another miscarriage. And your first motto, actually, when I, when I found out that I was pregnant after Luna, it was like a weight dropping down into the pit of my stomach of, okay, here we go again. There was also a glimmer of hope and joy. And I think maybe because I've had multiple losses, because I've had that experience, I've kind of been on lots of different planes with this. And so I was able to kind of do your first motto. You know, I remember showing the stick to Charlie. I don't actually, I can't remember if I showed him the stick or if I just told him, but, and he burst into tears and I burst into tears. And I remember saying to him, whatever happens, whatever happens with this pregnancy, I want us to feel joy as well. I know there's going to be anxiety. I know it's going to be really tough 
I can already feel it there. It's already there. But for God's sakes, whatever happens with this pregnancy, I don't want it to be completely consumed with anxiety and doubt and fear. Because if it's that thing of like, well, if I'm just anxious about it all the time and then something goes wrong, is it because I was anxious about it all the time that it went wrong? Yeah. Or, <laughs> and yeah, so it's, it's like, you can't really win. So again, sort of trying to just it's like grounding yourself in the small moments. Yeah. Like, and, yeah. and that, and that if the baby, so at that time, it was like, if this baby doesn't make it either, I don't want to just remember this pregnancy in a fog of anxiety because there's love here too. Right. And I want, yeah. I want to be able to remember some of that too. And as it turned out, you know, we went for an eight week scan and there wasn't a heartbeat. So, mm. you know, um, that's, this is fucking life. <laughs> Yeah. sakes <laughs> do you have what would do you have any like other skills you would recommend to people like in that moment if they are you know trying to see if they find themselves pregnant is yeah how, like obviously even hold on to that well I do have I do have one that is for me at least it's about bleeding because blood is associated with your period coming with during that two-week wait if you are going to get pregnant it could be implantation bleeding or spotting mm. i mean blood is just a huge trigger for so many women yeah. especially after tfmr so one thing for me at least I, here's a quick story about just my meaning attached to blood is that in my pregnancy i was terrified of blood and would check for spotting every time I went to the bathroom. Mm. And then after my TFMR, I didn't get a period and they were concerned I had Asherman's, which is scarring of the uterus and would be a secondary infertility. So what the hell? I was mm. freaking out and was wishing I would bleed. And so to me, that just put me into like a head spin of two months ago, I was terrified of blood and now I'm hoping for blood. Mm. And this meaning that I have assigned to it is just so intense. And I, I did get my period, but I think one thing is having a beginner's mind to when we see blood. And what I mean by that is, imagine you're an alien that just landed on earth. You've never seen blood in your life. So this is the first time you're seeing it and you're just coming at this from a very neutral point of view. And so it feels less scary than oh my gosh, this means I've lost my chance at a pregnancy next month. It could be, this is just red that is coming from my body. This is liquid. And you're just taking a different approach, which can reduce anxiety. Or you can think of what are different interpretations. It could be my body preparing for a pregnancy next month. Yeah, it's about changing your perspective. I was talking about it in therapy this morning about mindset and perspective and how you can flip the way you look mm. at it and having balanced thoughts against the anxious ones and things like that and writing them down as well. Yeah. A lot of that, it's like, I imagine this kind of like lifting yourself out of the situation and viewing it from above or to the side of it. Yeah. It's like you've kind of changed position really, isn't it? And you're not in the moment anymore. You're sort of yeah. changed the position a bit. Um, and when you're in it, it just feels so consuming yeah. and so to be on the sidelines it's a place where you can breathe a little bit more easily yeah. i mean it won't solve everything but i think it can just de-intensify some of the emotions mm. around it like taking a pause to remind yourself like just take a pause step outside 
how can I change this going forward? How can I view this differently? And that's, I think, how you can change some anxiety. I mean, it, like you said, it takes a lot of oh, so much practicing constantly over and over again. It's sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it isn't that easy. It's one of the hardest things you can do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so, I mean, you've got all this training and experience of working with clients. I know your, your specialty hasn't been in maternity. I know you're making some changes there, but, you know, how has your experience helped you with your own traumatic experiences in this? Mm. Yeah. Well, I think one thing is when I had to email all of my patients telling them that I lost my baby, that was really, really tough. Mm. And I, so in, in DBT, it's all about creating a life worth living. And so the idea is that we cannot get rid of pain. Pain is a part of life. And so I emailed them saying, you know, I thought I had a magic wand as a therapist to rid <laughs> myself of pain. And disclaimer, I don't. And instead, I'm trying to create a life that is worth living, even without my baby in it. Mm. And I think for my patients, they saw, okay, my therapist is human. This happens. I wasn't working with any people who were planning on having children at that point. That just wasn't my clientele. So I think they were able to see like, wow, my therapist also has pain, can also get through this. And for me, it was all about, I mean, I fled to Hawaii a week after my loss. So I was thinking damage control. I'd rather be crying in Hawaii than in my own bedroom. <laughs> I think we all would be. What do we yeah, have? Yeah, Isle of yeah. Wight or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the same as the British equivalent of Hawaii. Not quite the same. <laughs> Brighton, maybe, if you're yeah. the girl. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I, I remember getting the laminaria sticks in, which was an awful experience, yeah. thinking yeah. we're going to fucking Hawaii next week. I can't do this. So we booked a trip to Hawaii because I thought I can't get rid of this pain I'm going to experience. So I can control where I do experience it. Mm. And I think that's the most helpful part is that I have all these skills. I have put my head into the bowl of ice cold water. I have done a lot of self-soothing. I have done a lot of mindfulness when I've seen the blood. I, you know, I've done all of these things on myself. And that's coming from the work of to see how much my patients have grown from living a life of self-harm and wanting to die to them seeing them live a life that gives them meaning. Yeah. Do you think it's changed your work in that way? I mean, it, you know, going yeah. through this, you know, yeah. So you kind of really, because we can empathize to a point with our clients, can't we? But yeah. there's then when you go through something traumatizing yourself, it changes the whole perspective, doesn't it? It does. And I can just see the theme of loss with some of the people I work with, different type of loss, but still loss. I'm able to empathize on a much deeper level of lived experience. And I, I actually remember I worked with one person a few years ago who had lost a pregnancy and I have so much guilt of like, I failed her. I did not have the training or expertise. Mm. And so now I just feel like anyone who comes in my office about loss or grief or trauma, I can totally understand and be with them in that moment. And it just gives me a whole greater sense 
that I think is making me a better therapist. You think you couldn't train yourself for something like this? Like it takes lived experience to make yeah. yourself empathetic and compassionate. Yep. Like, you know, you could have read so many books about baby loss, but until you've actually experienced it, you never could have helped her through that in a way that you could now. Exactly. I wouldn't say that, like, I don't want to like just um, say you, you didn't fail her at all. Yeah. It's, you know, those are the thoughts that come up. Although I'd much rather be a shittier therapist and have my baby. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this is the paradox, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like how awful you have to go through it, but I guess something good comes out of it in the end that you can help people in a way. Exactly. You couldn't before. There's that deeper level of understanding. Exactly. I know I have this fire under my ass to put this directory together because there are so many women not in LA, but in other states at least, who are terrified, is their therapist pro-choice? Is my therapist going to judge me? I mean, that is just so, so awful. Well, you're going to walk into that room and there's no way that that's a safe space for you if that's what you're worrying about. And so therefore you can't do the work that you need to do to heal. To heal. It's just not possible. So, yeah. So tell us a bit about, you know, the director you're putting together and I mean, about this kind of training thing, because I think you are, you're putting together some training around this, aren't you? So are you going to expect people to have had lived experience as well? Or how is that going to work? Yeah. Well, so I created a therapy survey for anyone who's had a TFMR and I've had over a hundred people submit their personal experience. And I think close to 75 said that they would want their therapist to have some kind of lived experience, whether it's miscarriage or TFMR. So I found that really interesting. So I created this directory. I'm trying to have it be more international because there's a lot of United States therapists on there. Mm. And in the process of me putting this directory together, I had a lot reach out to me asking, where are TFMR trainings? There is none. And there aren't any. (laughs) There is none. Can you imagine that as as a university? (laughs) I don't think, is there even any training on baby loss as like a thing? There is. Is So that's what I took. I, so I'm getting certified in perinatal mental health. Well, that's that's not necessarily baby loss though, is it? That's mental maternal mental health. Correct. Which might have baby loss in there. Exactly. Yes. And even within that, they don't, highlight tfmr at all no so i i reached out to them and i'm just gonna say erica's got a telephone somewhere in the background because she's a busy lady it's actually not a telephone it is a (laughs) stupid truck outside my window (laughs) come and get your ice creams folks (laughs) he's doing a lot of moving around out there he needs to go get some more training yeah yeah it is like a million point uh, turn out there um right yeah so we're talking about training oh yeah So I, well, the perinatal mental health certification, I emailed them about TFMR and they said, if we were to create the training now, we would talk about it, but that was a long time ago. What? What? Sorry. What? If we were to create the training now, say that again, if we were to create the training now, we would talk about TFMR. I think end of sentence. I don't know. I was really shocked and very upset. So I said, screw it. I'll just create my own because I'm not going to wait for you to create a new video, which might take five years. Yeah. See, this is the whole thing around TFMR. There's a real lack of will 
Mm-hmm. On, Although on, you say that now, obviously, because I work in perinatal mental health, um, so we've got a new maternal mental health service in the UK that is um, our one in West London is called TLC, which is trauma loss care. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's incorporating people who have been through all sorts of losses, who experience trauma and um, birth trauma as well. Mm-hmm. So people who don't specifically have a mental illness that fit the perinatal mental health team, but they have had a trauma or a loss or miscarriage, mm. stillbirth, TFMR, anything like that, that's caused trauma to their lives. So they can access that wow. kind of mental health service. Amazing. Well, I think there has been more studies to, um, sorry, a little sidetrack here, but um, I was doing some reading up on papers and there's not very much that talk about baby loss in relation to maternal mental mm. health. There's just not that many studies out there, but I did find one that said, yes, we can see a link between, they were looking at miscarriage, stillbirth, again, not mentioning TFMR, and and seeing that there was there was a link between losses and maternal mental health outcomes. Yeah. Um, and then the birth trauma, whether it's a dead or yes. alive baby as well. So all that now yeah. is finally this has been recognized in the UK for women who need that kind of support. Wow, yeah. that is amazing that they have that. And I'm sure in the US we have it somewhere, but it's not very accessible and it's not up in front and center. And as a psychologist, I would think I would be able to find these resources, but my medical leave turned into a research project of (laughs) finding resources. And, and I'm like, I have the training to find this. I can't imagine someone else who doesn't have this expertise. I mean, it was a shit show of trying to find things, pulling things together that didn't exist. Yeah. to help me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, we hear it again and again, we really shouldn't be in the position to have to do this for ourselves. It should be a lot It strikes easier. me as a woman's thing. Like, again, women are second-class citizens, it almost feels like. Yeah, like, it's just like, these, oh, just yeah. be quiet and smile, yeah. basically. Smile away, like, smile away. Yeah. Suck it up sort of thing. Yeah, it's not good enough. Um, so yeah, so this training then that you're putting together, mm-hmm. how's that sort of working? What are you putting into it? And yeah. So I took my lived experience, I journaled a lot, wrote down what would help. And then I have used a lot of DBT and CBT techniques of this acceptance and change and put that together. So things that are specific to TFMR are, you know, about telling your story, the guilt and shame that are associated with TFMR and how to target guilt and shame from a dialectical behavior therapy perspective. And so it's not just talking about the guilt, it's about getting familiar with the guilt and shame. Is this justified guilt and shame? If it is, what to do with it? If it's not, how to lessen it over time? Mm-hmm. And so I'm pulling all of that together and also finding ways to honor your baby, like naming your baby or doing specific things. So that's where I'm trying to meld all of this together. And I'm going to, for the training, I'm going to create like a slideshow and do a one hour quick presentation, see who's interested. Because once I did the directory, a lot of therapists reached out saying, I would love to take a training. And there aren't any. So I just think, okay, well, I'm not the best person in the world to do it because I don't have all of this uh, maternal mental health perspective, but Mm. I'm getting closer to it and I'm the best to do it who is willing to do it right now. Is this just for therapists or do you think it's for moms who have been through a TFMR too? 
So I'm going to do one specific for providers, and then I'm going to create some videos for people who go through TFMR who aren't quite ready to go into therapy or who are in the waiting period to get a therapist. So I'm trying to put kind of like a course together for moms and parents. And then I'm also going to be offering individual therapy in California and Rhode Island where I'm licensed. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it <laughs> does sound awesome. Yeah, I think you've captured everything, especially like just justifying the guilt and shame as well. Like a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm really conscious that, you know, this has come from Shayla. Yeah. That this is part of her legacy. Yeah. And we've talked about this before with other people. Mm. Yeah. It's how I honor her, I guess. I mean, she is a huge part of me right now. I mean, I I have my little Jizo statue doll, which is, have you seen those? No. Oh, they're so cute. Okay. So it's like a Japanese little statue that apparently helps unborn or dead babies like cross over. I just think it's oh. the, and like a happy little Buddha yeah. thing. I just think it's the sweetest thing ever. So yeah, because in Japan, they view baby loss in a very different way. Yes, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So I have that next to my nightstand. So I honor her by like looking at my little uh, Jizo statue and then this TFMR throwing myself in is the best way I can honor and grieve her. Mm. Yeah, it's quite sweet, isn't it? What we do that um, helps us because I just have all his ashes next to me on my bedside table mm. and his little teddy and things. And you know, I look at that every night before you go to sleep. So yeah, makes it's, you feel close and yeah, connected. Yeah, and I think some of the work that comes out that people do, the how they sort of change as well. It's all kind of part of parenting because, of course you do change when you become a parent. Yeah. You know, you, you do change. So they may not be here physically here, but you are changed forever. And sometimes it's hard to hold on to that. And because people, other people can't see them here, then they forget that you are actually a parent in this. Yes. And so all these things are good ways of us to feel connected and carry on parenting yeah creating a legacy that they impact and she will be impacting through this by you yeah it's kind of sweet and special because there's so much pain associated with losing her it gives me a lot of comfort to bring something positive or sweet to it just so I can hold it in my heart and feel less heavy yeah I think a lot of people feel like this don't they because we yeah. obviously created this podcast out of that same pain yeah as a yeah. comfort and then now you're here and then we're listening to what you're doing to help others and I think a lot of people who've been through this are inspired to do something to ease the pain of other people as well right just feels so like nice and comforting to do that yeah I always feel like it's actually you know Luna's sort of working through yeah. me you know it's her way of impacting <laughs> the world um, which is what we want. We want our children to be making a difference, really. Definitely. Um, and yeah, it's a way of making, ensuring that that happens. So yeah. Yep. It seems like a nice place to kind of wrap up there. Um, so Erica, we have a question we always ask every guest called a TFMR takeaway. So what advice or piece of hope would you give to women and families who are facing a TFMR or have undergone a TFMR? Yeah, I would say my main piece of advice is to 
give yourself some self-compassion and self-validation and knowing that you are in a position that no one ever wishes to be in. If I could remove this pain, I would. And you are put in a position that is the worst place to possibly be. And you are doing the best that you possibly can and lean into it and know that like you're doing the best you can with all the information you have in this moment. Yeah. That's our motto too. It's another motto to add to the list. (laughs) (laughs) We need a little motto list. We need to get on that, Catherine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We need to get on that. Motto Mondays. There we go. There we go. Right. Thank you so much, Erica. It's been lovely having you on. Um, Yeah. Thank you for taking the time. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. So thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it and found it useful. Let us know by messaging us over on social media, Facebook and Instagram, Time to Talk TFMR, and our Twitter handle is TalkTFMR. You can look forward to future episodes covering pregnancies of multiples and another episode with post-traumatic growth. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast from Podbean or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to make sure you get all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. That's all for this time. Thank you and please take gentle care of yourselves. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.